Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, True Roger fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're talking with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber. We want to talk about USC's game against Notre Dame. 41-31 loss. Lots of questions. You guys have sent in a lot of questions. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our Harvey Hyde podcast on Monday. We're doing to this one, uh, Dan Weber, on Tuesday. I'll probably do a solo one on Wednesday. And we'll probably do some sort of preview show about Utah later on the week as well. So lots of stuff to get to. Uh, if you want to send us a question, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or you can give us a call at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Hit the pound sign, leave us a voicemail, that'd be great. Or you go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can click on the left side of the page from your computer or device and leave a, a voicemail right there as well. Of course, itunes.com slash Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps the show. And we really appreciate you guys listening. And without further ado, let's bring in Dan Weber. How's it going, Dan? Hopefully everything's good. Yeah. Uh, practice today was uh, not not bad. Uh, not maybe the numbers you'd like, but I thought there was, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, lot of hitting and a lot of, uh, you know, probably a sense of, uh, Man, wish we'd had some things back in that Notre Dame game. And what do we do now? Well, let's make it right this week and and maybe uh, get something going against Utah. Well, I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate, before we kind of jump into everything. So if you need uh, help in the real estate market in Southern California, you go to michaelmolinerealestate.com or give him a call at 310-275-4688. He's a great Trojan. We'll see him this Saturday in the Coliseum against Utah, he helps out the USC stats team. So he's on that and, uh, does a lot of stuff in Beverly Hills and around Southern California. And we'll have more from him, uh, and a message at the end of the show too. So check him out, michaelmolinerealestate.com. And Dan, kind of the, the topic of the day, I retweeted some stuff about, uh, what Kyle Willingham said, the Utah coach about USC being the most talented team in the country. And I kind of tweeted, well, you know, how's this team three and three? Not in the country, in the conference. And how's this team three and three if they're the most talented team in the conference? Uh, but we had a voicemail question that kind of, uh, addresses this. So I thought I'd start off with this one for you. Here you go. Uh, this message is for Dan Weber. Dan, this is Dan in Tustin calling, uh, watching, uh, USC Notre Dame first half, our weekly dose of, uh, humiliation and disappointment. Uh, the way I look at this is it really basically comes down to one of two things. Either we have been misled greatly about how much talent and speed and all else that we have, or we just have some of the worst coaches that I've ever seen. It's one of two. Uh, if our talent is as good as everyone says it is, they look lost. There's no philosophy going. There's nothing. It's instead of helter-skelter, it's helton skelton. So anyway, that's those are my thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts next week. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, I think Dan might have uh, sent that early in the first half uh, <laughs> before before they went ahead. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 
you can look at it all different ways. Uh, Saturday, Saturday gave you a chance to, you know, come up with every conclusion you wanted to about, uh, uh, you know, the, the talent level. Uh, is it really that good? Uh, the coaching level, how bad is it? Or a third possibility, which happened last week now, uh, and it wasn't in all the newspapers, if there are newspapers anymore. Um, uh, USC lost their coach on Sunday, and then right before kickoff, they lost their athletic director. <laughs> I mean, it was one of those, if you had, if you were trying to distract a team the week of the Notre Dame game, you could not have done a better job. You know, I talked about, you know, a program, a season getting sabotaged, uh, uh, kind of a self-sabotage. Uh, maybe you're not intending to do it, but that's the end result. So I think it was very hard for them to get up to speed. Uh, and Notre Dame, I thought, was really well prepared and really took advantage of everything. You know, if you're going to stay off, uh, you know, Fuller and make a Dory, you know, start off seven yards deep in some sort of zone and you're going to not redirect Fuller and you're not going to, you know, jam him and you're not going to grab him. And then, you know, all of a sudden a Dory's got to, you know, turn and try to catch a guy who's almost as fast as he is, you know, without, you know, getting a chance to manhandle him at the line of scrimmage and run with him. I mean, that's what you get. I mean, and then, you know, you've got a situation where if you're a defensive back at USC, you figure out, I probably got to help the front seven against the run because they aren't going to, you know, especially, the, you know, the, the front line is not going to tackle anybody. So there are all kinds of reasons, you know, for the slow start. They did get up to speed. They did catch them. Uh, I think the, you know, the worst thing that happened uh, Saturday was you get up 31 to 24, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get you pin them down to the 10 and the 9-yard line, and you give up a 90 and a 91-yard drive to lose the game, and you, um, you know, basically create very little yourself in that second half. Uh, that was that was a shame. Uh, I saw a statistic that makes you do wonder about, you know, what they're doing, you know, in terms of coaching and calling plays and things like that. Uh, USC is 124th in the nation, four from the bottom, in second half time of possession, which does seem to, you know, square with what we see, the three and outs, the three and outs, the three and outs, the inability to just get anything going in the second half. it's hard, you know hard to imagine uh you know as well as they played for you know those series in the in the, in the first half on both sides of the ball and then to just you know and, and there's no excuse this year you don't have enough players um you know you're you're tired all of that no they get I mean, they gained 590 yards against Notre Dame they, you know, Notre Dame hasn't given up anywhere near that many yards this year. They gave, you know, they scored 31 points. Notre Dame hasn't given up anywhere near that many points this year in a game. And yet, boom, nothing. I mean, it's kind of inexplicable, uh, what, how, what you would say all of the things that went into the way that, that game went down the drain. Um, should we have expected more of them? I don't know. In a week, 
as crazy as that week. I mean, I don't think there's ever been in the history of the world a college football team that had a head coach on the Sunday before the Notre Dame game who couldn't make it to and through practice. And then on the Saturday of the Notre Dame game, the athletic director couldn't make it to and through the game. Who does that? (laughs) That's crazy. So, you know, to expect the kids to, you know, perform under, you know, their new interim coach under absolute optimum circumstances against a Notre Dame team that was really primed and a Notre Dame crowd that was really primed, that might have been expecting more, but having seen how they were able to perform for stretches of that game, yeah, you can, you know, you can feel really frustrated about a lot of things. I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's a whole bunch of things that, you know, that go together. And uh, we'll find out, I think, a whole lot more this week and, you know, the final six games this season, exactly what it is. But I think we got to give this group, at least this head coach, a chance to kind of, you know, stamp his, uh, you know, you know, to say this is my team. This is this is how we're going to do it. Uh, what that says about all the other coaches and, and you know, how you – I mean, how do you just flip a switch and say we're going to go in a different direction from the way we were going, you know, with the other, you know, with the other head coach? That's not that easy to do. I agree 100 percent, Dan. And uh, that's it's a, definitely a common theme. And I don't know. I mean, it's not a fair position. I think that Clay Helton was put in. That's the position he was put in, and you just kind of have to roll with the punches. And I was kind of shocked they actually came back in that game, and then only you know only to uh, let it go at the end. Um, but people keep asking, Dan, and we have, actually, there's one more, this is more specifically about the line play, but you know, people are questioning what's going on with the coaching on this team. So let me play this one for you. Hi, Ryan. This is Ray from San Clemente. Hey, a question for you, Dan and coach Hyde. And I would like each of your perspectives from my perspective. Although there's been flashes of good results. The offensive line and defensive line seem very subpar in results. What is your perspective? Is it talent or is it coaching? It's so frustrating to know what we should be doing, but not seeing any results. I value your opinions, and thanks for the great job that all of you guys do. Thanks. You know, this is where it becomes difficult because you could say, you know, the offensive line did a terrible job, even though they gained 590 yards. <laughs> and you think, 590 yards on the road at Notre Dame? How often have they ever done that? I mean, and yet, I would, I will agree. I mean, I talked to Clay about that today. They had, and Clay said, you know, our, our run game, we average five yards a carry. 30 carries, 150 yards. And then you say, but Clay, 75 or 65 of that came on one run. Ronald Jones, one run. Take that away. And you've got 85 yards in 29 other, the, the other 29 carries, you got 85 yards. That's less than three yards a carry. That's not good enough. That's not very good at all. Uh, especially with Notre Dame. And the weird thing is Notre Dame gained only at 476, and that's a lot, but compared to 590, that's not that much. And yet if you look back at that game, you remember 
you know, the pro-size kid, you know, just chunking it up through the middle of the Adams run for the touchdown. You know, you remember all the time that uh, 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 Kaiser had uh, to throw the ball, even though they did sack him four times, but you remember the bombs. And Notre Dame, you know, got like half their yardage in three plays. Uh, but uh, it certainly seemed like they were better prepared for that game than USC was. And I, I can't, I can't get, I mean, I, I would personally say I don't think they're doing the exact right things on either side of the ball for the personnel they've got. I'd like to see them more, you know, man-on-man, man, uh, you know, maybe not quite as uh, you know, big a, you know, splits on the offensive line and more power running straight at you, you know, we're going to knock you off the line of scrimmage, and, and we're going to see if we can pop one of those guys, especially, uh, you know, Ronald Jones, and, you know, not run east-west, run north-south. That's what I'd like to see. Will we see it? Maybe a little bit more. Will we see, a, you know, a second back in there, one of the two fullbacks, and, and you know, get a lead blocker? I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see more just straight sweeps and traps and, you know, counters, inside stuff uh, that we really don't see. I, I don't like the, you know, the zone play with these guys as much. Um, and on the defensive line, obviously you've got three guys who just look like they're getting double teamed, every one of them, every play. And they just get ground down or, or pushed back. And yet that defensive line on Seven possessions in the Notre Dame game, and, and, and we'll say the defensive line, the defensive front. On seven possess, Notre Dame went seven possessions from the first quarter through the end of the third quarter, and they got one field goal. And before that, their last, you know, they got a score on a, a block punt. So it wasn't like they were just absolutely chewing them up and spitting them out. But when when Notre Dame had to have it. When they needed that 90-yard uh, drive and that 91-yard drive to go ahead, they got it. And they just lined up, and they came right at them and, jumped, you know, ran right over them. And so it certainly the, the lack of consistency, you know, the, the bad start, then you really stand them off, you know, for 36 minutes, I think, Notre Dame got three points, got that field goal. And then they – just chunked them up, uh, and how does that happen? I don't know. I mean, I think uh, some of it is schematic. Some of it is, uh, you know, they seem to, when they got down, they don't play with any fear. They just go and just nothing to protect. And, it, you know, it, they don't look like the same team when they're down 24 to 10 as they did when they were up 31 to 24. Yeah. They look like a better team when they were down than they were leading. And that's, been a, a you know a problem with this team is they don't seem to know how to you know handle a lead and they don't know how to and then they and then you know then they finish it up with the worst two minute drill ever seen by man except for the time in the Stanford game right where they had the <laughs> other worst two minute drill and and some of this is coaching because all we can get from them when we talk to them now is well they're you know, they won't let us throw the ball deep. You know, they, they, they play eight guys deep and, and, and you can't. You just can't. There's nothing you can do about it. And you think, wait a minute. Then that's all you gotta do? No one could ever run a two minute drill if teams <laughs> do to everybody what they do to USC? I mean, it's nuts. But 
you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's some coaching, it's some, you know, how they use the personnel they've got. Uh, it's, it's a number of things that go together that make you have more questions than answers. Uh, well, here's another question, Dad. Maybe we'll get an answer to this one for Melvin. Very simple. Is Adore Jackson overrated as a defensive back? Well, no, I think, uh, he was putting in a terrible situation. Uh, he's got a guy who's almost as fast as he is. And I, I think he absolutely wasn't looking for, you know, uh, Notre Dame, I thought, did a marvelous job on, on a few of those plays. Great throw, plenty of time, uh, you know, uh, able to run him deep. And, and if you're a defensive back at USC and they've got you seven yards off the line of scrimmage, what are you going to do? I mean, do you think anybody would play a dory like that? Um, and if they do, you you got to throw the ball deep and let him run by him, and with no safety help. I mean, it was it was just a combination of you couldn't have done any worse. Uh, you know, situ- you couldn't have put a dory in any worse situation. And again, if you're a defensive back at USC, you better be ready to come up and help against the run. And um, so, you know, I think he's looking into the backfield. You probably don't think somebody's going to open up, you know, the game with a 75-yard bomb. And uh, there you go. I mean, but is he overrated? Nah, I don't think so at all. I think that was, a, again, you know, bad, bad scheme, not the greatest coaching, and he's probably trying to do more things than, than he probably needs to do on that play. Although, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him play a lot more offense, to be honest with you. I think he's, uh, he's going to be much more valuable on, on offense than on defense. And, uh, you know, he got three touches the other night. Got an 83-yard touchdown out of three touches. I'm thinking I'd give him more touches. But, again, that comes back to coaching. How come he only touches the ball three times? Uh you know, I, I mean, Notre Dame was happy that he only, you know, touched it three times, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I don't think he's overrated now. Uh, I think it's easy to people, you know, make snap judgments without, you know, knowing all the facts. I wish, you know, if I were them, I, and you get a matchup. Now, did, my question is, did USC understand how, how fast Fuller is? I mean, did they really, really understand it? I'd watched Notre Dame play this year. I didn't get that sense. I, I didn't, I hadn't seen him in person, and you only needed to see him once, and you thought, wow, this guy can absolutely run with a dory. That's pretty good. I mean, we're, when you say a guy can run with a dory, he really, really fast, and you haven't seen that kind of speed at Notre Dame, and I'm not sure. Were they ready? I don't know. Uh, again, is that coaching? You know, um, but it didn't look like if you were going to uh, put a dory in that situation, that's a really tough situation to have him in a soft, kind of soft zone cover and no safety help and that guy's just got a motor by because you know by that time you can't grab him or redirect him uh that far off the line of scrimmage and all he's got to do is get a step and they throw it you know throw it perfectly uh didn't like any of that that i saw but uh i I, I really hesitate to blame the players i just it just it really kind of rubs me the wrong way uh, let's go to Alex in San Diego. He says, uh, thank you and Ryan. Uh, thank Dan and Ryan for the great podcast. Dan, what is your evaluation of the play of our freshmen and your opinion of their playing time? I, for one, believe some of the, these players 
are as good as advertised and those who are ready to deserve to be considered over some of the incumbents. Some examples are Deontay Burnett should play more at receiver, uh, Osa Messina at linebacker, uh, Marvell Tell more at safety, Ronald Jones need more touches at running back. The big playabilities of our freshmen was a bright spot on Saturday. Just look at Cam Smith's uh, split-second fumble recovery to give us possession when the ball before the ball went out of bounds. I believe some of them need even more playing time, just like Cam Smith and Iman Marshall have been giving. Given, what are your thoughts, Alex in San Diego? Well, I mean, Ronald Jones absolutely has to carry the ball more than six times. I mean, that's just uh, that's a given. You've got to give it, you know, give him a chance, uh, uh, you know, to make the big play. I mean, he can run through people. I mean, I know Kelly was talking about, uh, you know, they had two guys grabbed him on that 65-yard run. You just kept running. Uh, you know, they've got to do a better job in creating, you know, lanes for him or seams for him, but you've got to carry the ball more. It's just, it's just not even a no-brainer. It's, uh, it's less than that. Yeah, Deontay Burnett, we saw him in the summer and loved him from the minute, first minute we saw him. He looks like he's about, you know, 14 years old, but, uh, he can run, he can jump, he can hit people, he catches the ball. He's a player. Uh, and, you know, you're going to get to see more of him, uh, with the injuries at the wide receiver core. So, uh, you know, you know, get ready. I mean, you know, Cam Smith and Osa and Porter Gustin are, I mean, as good as three linebackers as have come into the country, you know, anywhere in the country this year. Uh, but they are freshmen. And, you know, if he isn't, you know, the upperclassmen haven't had great years. Uh, you know, the freshmen are still learning. Um, you saw more of the, you know, all the freshmen out there together, and you're going to see more and more and more of those guys. Uh, but, you know, uh, you got, I don't know, is there any way to bring, you know, freshman linebackers on any faster than these guys are? And you just say, okay, we're going to have to live with it. And, um, you know, I'm thinking you, uh, you figure out how do we score 40 points every game. You know, you just look at the next, six games and say, can we score 40 points every game and see what happens um, and play as many young guys as you can. I was surprised a little bit that they didn't get more of the young guys on the, the defensive front. Uh, I, I, I'd like to have seen them, you know, play more. They went with the seniors and uh, they got, you know, chewed up there on those two long drives. It just didn't have much resistance at all. And, uh, you know, if you're going to get chewed up, you might as well get chewed up with freshmen out there than, uh, you know, than, than seniors. But, um, uh, I think that's, that's an area I'd keep my eye on as far as where that goes, uh, you know, from here with, uh, with the, you know, the, uh, the front line. On the back line, I mean, you know, Marvell Tell has become just a really good player. Man, he will hit you. He's in the right place. And his technique is, is terrific. Uh, I think, uh, again, with the Dory, uh, maybe seeing more offensive action, you're gonna see, uh, you know, uh, another kid like, uh, the Langley kid. I think you'll see more of him out there. You're obviously Biggie Marshall. So you can have three of the, three of the corners that, you know, will get a lot of action. It'll be, uh, it'll be freshmen. So, uh, you know, you're gonna, they're gonna be playing more and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how far, how fast they can come. Heck, uh, today, Cole Smith was the backup center. He was a center with the twos. Now, he's one of the freshmen we thought absolutely he was going to redshirt. But, 
now that uh, uh, Khalil Rogers has moved over to guard on the second group, uh, and um, you know, without uh, Chad Wheeler today, they were doing you know moving Zach Banner to left tackle and Chuma Adoga uh, at right tackle. You know, you might see more of Chuma as well. So uh, you're not going to see less of those freshmen. They're they're going to keep, uh, as you say, they're going to keep uh, you know keep them out there on the field. It's just a matter of how many can you have in there together, and how quickly can you bring them along? Uh, but uh, yeah, they're they're going to play a lot. Uh, David, the, the uh, excuse me, Ladera Ranch wants to see the freshmen, the young people play too. Kind of a combination, I guess, of the last question and some of the previous ones. He said, in reference to the defense, the thing that stands out to me is Essie's just not very talented up front. The youth in the back is a different story. The defensive line does not have the ability to shed blocks in both the run game and the pass rush. And the outside guys, particularly the rush end, too frequently get sucked in and lose outside contain on run plays. But most importantly, they just do not shed their blocks and get to the runner or the quarterback. The few sacks in the last game seem more a result of the quarterback holding onto the ball too long. How much of this is coaching and how much do you think is talent? And I know we have some young guys that are seeing some snaps. Is it time for the defensive line to go through the same youth movement the linebackers and defensive backs have gone through? Growing pains now can pay dividends in the future. Dave and Ladera Ranch saying a lot of stuff you just said, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the issue to some extent for a lot of us is uh, do they have the personnel to play the three-man front and, and, and the, you know, with the two-gap technique? They just don't look like they do. It looks like more of a natural with the talent they've got that maybe this is more of a, you know, a team that ought to be playing a four-man front. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's not what they've chosen to do. That's not what they do. It doesn't look like they're very successful at doing what they need to do when they need to do it. Now, they had flurries against Notre Dame. I mean, they, they had, you know, series after series where, you know, they got the job done. What exactly was that? Why were we, you know, why were we seeing that? And then all of a sudden when Notre Dame needed it, you know, when just when you think, okay, we got them backed up to the nine, got them backed up to the ten, they just crunch it. I mean, they just, you know, right at you and just boom, 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 boom. Uh, how much of that is, you know, a scheme and how much of that is, uh, you know, the, you're just not suited to play the technique that they're asking you to play. Uh, I think, you know, it's a combination of, of the two things. But, uh, but you know, if you're going to go with that, you know, three-man front, maybe you are. Are you better off with going with the really big, you know, big, 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 strong freshman and just saying, you know, go out there and learn, kid? I don't know. But um, uh, not working – real well this way and yet you you would have you know if they'd ask you midway in the third quarter you'd say wow the defense has come alive look at these guys you know they're swarming they're shutting them down they're done you know and then all of a sudden it flipped like just crazy i mean it was just uh, the difference in some of those you know series in the third quarter are hard to even describe how how different results they had uh with you know, with the same guys, and I, I don't have a good answer. I wish USC had a good answer. We'll see if they have a better answer this week. Uh, but um, you know, they're they're working on being more physical. They were doing more hitting. They were you know working on more tackling. Uh, 
all of that kind of stuff. Uh, if you eliminated the missed tackles, the tackles where guys ran through, ran through their arms, that would have helped a lot. Uh, but uh, it's still, I mean, there are plays where you didn't see a single USC defender anywhere near uh, to crossing the line of scrimmage. Just not even close. I mean, they just pulled those, you know, out of the way. And I don't know that you can be a good team if you can't, you know, control the line of scrimmage or even, you know, stalemate it, you know, at the worst. Um, and that's, you know, mostly not happening with this, uh, with this lineup. Tarek has a pretty simple one. He says, what is the point of getting elite running back recruits if we go away from the run when it's actually working? And this is a question that's, uh, I mean, uh, today Clay, for example, you know, told me that if they're stacking the box, he said, we will take what they give us. And that gave us 400 and whatever, 440 yards passing. Uh, and so that's the second or third, third team, I guess, uh, uh, Stanford, Washington, uh, Notre Dame, stack the box, which is weird when you consider USC is like uh, 115th or whatever in run attempts. They just don't run the ball very much. So why would a team stack the box against a USC who doesn't run the ball? It's it's very weird. But that's how they're seeing it. They're seeing it that teams are stacking the box and will not let them run the ball. Which tells you, okay, they're they're telling you they want to, want you to throw it. Well, Arizona State as well. So, you know, I guess uh, USC sees that and says, well, we can't run it, or well, we can't run it as much as we'd like. But uh, um, that's where you'd like to see them still be able to run the ball. Uh, you know, with man on man, you know, blocking and, and double teaming and power and with a lead back and all that kind of thing. So that you can't let a team just dictate to you, you will not run the ball against us. Or if they do, you get more than 31 points throwing the ball, one or the other. You, you can't just say to a team, oh, yeah, you can take away our entire run game. Or you can't say to a team, oh, yeah, you can take away our entire two-minute drill if you line up like this. We won't We won't even try. Uh, I don't go for that. I, I just I don't buy that. So I, I wish I had a better answer. I wish they had a better answer. Neither do we have right now. All right. Um, we had a few people write in about this topic, Dan, so I want to read a few people's questions here. It's really about uh, Cody Kessler, and there's a lot of criticism directed his way. Nick says, what is the time to start Max Brown to prep him for Alabama in 2016? Uh, we got Stephen Chino Hills that says, I've never been an anti-Kessler guy, but I think it's starting to change. It's not that he's terrible, but he just doesn't seem to have that it factor when it's needed. We're now three and three. Shouldn't we switch to, to the, shouldn't a switch to Max Brown be considered? Maybe he's better. We've never seen him in serious games. What's there to lose? And then Andrew, he says, watch the end of the Notre Dame game. It's becoming apparent that it's only going to get worse. Uh, Cody Kessler appears to have no interest in attempting to win the game with four minutes left. Uh, I understand you don't want a turnover, but there's a difference between uh, appearing to want to win and a true desperation attempt at a comeback. Um, he wants to see Max Brown's more important in the long run. 
Uh, please don't tell me we owe it to Cody when he's unwilling to throw the ball more than five yards down the field at the end of the game. I understand this isn't the time yet, but if Utah, but if Utah and remember it's Utah comes to LA and win wins, coaches may no longer be, may be willing to accept this untenable job. Troy is beyond burning. Wow. Uh, so that's from Andrew, <laughs> Stephen, and Nick. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I know people were upset that Cody threw the ball down the field and got enough, you know, an interception. Even the guy makes a great play and all that kind of thing. Uh, I was down on the field the last, those last few minutes. To be honest, we were right behind where Cody was. I'll admit this. I didn't see anybody open. I didn't see anybody open anywhere. Uh, now you could still throw the ball down the field and then, you know, Notre Dame picks it off and everybody's yelling at Cody for throwing an interception. Uh, I, I really don't know what they're trying to do in the two minute drill. And I know Cody's trying to win the game and he doesn't want to give the ball up. And yet, uh, I mean, if it were me, you wouldn't have any check down guys, you know? completing a three-yard pass does no one any good. Yeah. So if you have no one there, he can't check it down to anybody. Throw the hell, throw the thing away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, run it. Do anything. But no. So if you've got a guy who's checking uh, as a check down receiver three yards downfield, right away you know that's one less guy you have downfield. Uh, so I'm – I'm a little bit puzzled by the answers we're getting about how in the you know, Stanford game and this game that they absolutely couldn't run any kind of a two-minute drill because they dropped eight guys back. Uh, a lot of teams do that. That doesn't mean you, you can't throw things. On, or, you know, at least you can throw it, you know, 15 yards, yeah. 12 yards underneath, something. Dan, they, Dan that, first, that first drive when, you know, down 10 points and they were backed up, he completed two passes and they still didn't have a first down. And you're down 10 points with like four minutes left. Yeah. I mean, they want you to throw that pass. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and it was, I would say this, talking to both um, Clay and T today, the answers were really unsatisfactory as to what they can do. Uh, or what they're going to do. Uh, and I don't know if that's all the answer they've got or it's not going to tell us. Uh, you know, we haven't seen Cody throw the ball deep much. And, you know, a couple of times, you know, he did. And, um, and it didn't turn out so well. Not that, it, you know, he, for example, I don't think Juju should have been running a deep route. He had, he had a couple of injuries and he really wasn't able to come back and get, you know, get into that play. As Cody said, and he was right, it was a one-on-one jump ball, no safety over there, and you got Juju going against a guy not as big and strong. But Juju wasn't 100%, wasn't able to, you know, really get any lift at all or get turned on the ball. Uh, I'm not sure I'd have Juju as the guy I'm running deep there. Um, you've got, you know, you've got Adoree Jackson. I mean... You know, look at him sometimes. I mean, I would, I would think he's got a chance to get, you know, by somebody. Um, but they've got to figure some things out. That's unacceptable. And, uh, and then everybody comes down on Cody. Like, uh, it bothers me a little bit that we tend to over-personalize things as if it's Cody's fault or it's 
it's, you know, as if it's, uh, you know, Cody's not trying to win the game or whatever. He's trying like crazy to win the game. Uh, uh, he's not, a, he's not the coach. He's not calling the plays. He's not designing the offense in the two minute drill. And, um, you know, have, have teams better prepared for USC, better scheme for USC than USC has for them? I don't know. I mean, it was the same answer we got with Sart, you know, with, you know, uh, Stanford did some things against our two minute drill that we hadn't seen them do and that really screwed us up. Uh, now they did move the ball at the end of the first half and they did get, um, they did get in range for that field goal that, that they, you know, end up hitting the goal, hitting the upright. Uh, and and allowing the um, you know the uh, Notre Dame to ice the clock, uh, ice the kicker, excuse me, and uh, that was you know the the best. Uh, but but at least that time they did move the ball, you know, halfway decently at the end of the half. But um, but the, it was unacceptable what what happened at the end of that game. I mean, absolutely unacceptable. Well, since we're on that topic, we also had a voicemail question about the ability to finish games. I want to play this for you. Hey, Ryan, Chris from Fontana calling. Uh, this message is for Dan. Um, just wanted to get his uh, take on why this football team can't finish. Um, it just seems like they kind of fall apart when things go awry. Um, they really find, you know, find themselves wanting. They, they, it doesn't seem like they can pick themselves back up, establish a game plan. I don't know how much of that is coaching. Um, but you just get, you, I think there's enough uh, body of work at this stage to now say this team just can't finish. And that leads me to Cody. Um, and just wanted to get your take as to why uh, Cody can't finish a game. It seems like he tends to force passes. I, I, there's plenty of opportunities for him to run. I don't know why he doesn't run a little bit more. Um, you know, it seems like he's willing to force a pass rather than just kind of take off and pick up the extra yards. But anyway, just wanted to get your take uh, and uh, look forward to hearing it. And uh, fight on, guys. Well, I think, you know, again, it's this contradictory thing. It's like when they, when things go bad, you know, they kind of fall apart. Actually, they have a tendency to come apart when things are going well. Like when they're <laughs> up 31 to 24 is when they kind of fell apart. I mean, it was, it, it was it, on both sides of the ball. You know, at the same time that Notre Dame's running the 91 and 90 yard, uh, drives to score, uh, for I think a combination of 16 plays, USC getting all these three and outs and three and outs. And, uh, some of that is play calling, I think. Um, how much of that is, you know, left over from, you know, what, what Sark, I mean, let's face it, Sark was still the coach Sunday. Uh, so how much of that is, uh, you know, an offense that maybe isn't, you know, completely suited? To these guys, is it some of it abandoning the run? You know, did you know was Notre Dame really, you know, impossible to run? You know, to run the ball on, uh, and if not, you know, if they are, then if they're taking away the run, you ought to just devastate them with the passing game. Uh, now, you know, there were injury issues, and Juju's not a hundred percent. One would like to see him use Adoree, uh better. I've always, you know, and I know, again, it's so easy to personalize it with Cody. Uh, but I think, you know, there has been a, a consistent pattern of, of tending to not really go for it 
when you've got a lead. This team has, has, you know, last year tried to protect leads and didn't, you know, at, at Utah and, uh, against Arizona State. This team just hasn't been able to do that. And I do think this, <laughs> if you think, where was, the USC's, uh, you know, talks about the inability to run a two-minute drill against uh, the defenses they're seeing. Where the hell was that defense when they played Arizona State last year? You know, I mean, if if you can basically shut down a team's, uh, you know, two-minute drill by just, you know, dropping eight guys back, why doesn't USC do that? Uh, why haven't they been able to, you know, shut off teams, uh, you know, two-minute drill? I don't have good answers. I'm not going to make it about Cody. I don't know that I see him throwing the ball the same exact way that he started the year out, and I don't know why. And I don't see, you know, the ability to attack, you know, with the deep ball the same as we saw earlier in the year. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but uh, it doesn't look the same, and uh, and I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, he still had... You know, he completed 30 out of 46 for like 370, you know, six yards or whatever and a couple of touchdowns. So, I know we make it sound like, gosh, he was, you know, miserable. 376 yards in passing is, is actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, against a pretty good team, against a team that, you know, he certainly didn't let, you know, well, I know Clemson game was in the rain, but they haven't let anybody do that to him. And then here comes, you know, you know, Cody and and as much criticism he's getting right now, uh, I think it's magnified by the you know the inability to get anything going in the two minute drill. But uh, I'm not not so sure that's as much Cody as it is uh, other things. Um, we got a bunch more to get to, so we'll try we'll try to okay. knock them out Real as quick. quickly as we can. I don't want to miss people, but we'll do as many as we can. We're you know we're not gonna we're gonna have to stop at some point. But um, Dennis and Lancaster said question for Dan. With us re- returning our starting offensive line from last year and six games into this year, are you surprised how the offensive line has regressed with the holdings and the false starts, the, the pre-snap penalties? Our line was supposed to be the strength this year, and they haven't shown improvement from last year. Do you believe, if this keeps up, that Bob Connolly has to go at the end of the year? Love the podcast and fight on. You know, I don't I, – I mean, again, I'm not going to personalize it that, that directly uh, – I don't like the way the run game fits with the personnel. I mean, I'm just not crazy about that, but how much of that was, uh, you know, the head coach, how much was saying this is what we're going to do and let's try to fit these guys to, you know, this scheme. Um, but, uh, uh, and I really don't like the, uh, you know, the penalties, obviously, and uh, the lack of poise. I thought it was interesting today. I mean, I've been, you know, kind of, talking to people about how much more effective I think Zach Banner would be with his hand on the ground. And I'd, I'd like to see that. And I'd like to see more power run blocking. And, and Zach is a guy who could really be a big power run blocker. Well, today they come out with him on the left side because Chad Wheeler's uh, going through the concussion protocol, and he's got his hand on the ground. And I like that. I mean, I, uh, I didn't like the fact that he was in that stand-up you know, position. Um, I mean, he's already six nine, and uh, you know he's got, he's got to come down to you know. But if you start him out that high, uh, you know it, they were taking advantage of him, especially on that outside speed rush. So uh, 
why not take advantage of them by, you know, running up behind him more and just power running? I mean, he's really a load, you know, if you can, you can power run. Uh, you know, the whole question of, uh, you know, the, the penalties is just, uh, it's ridiculous. And, and something has to be done about that. And whether that's one coach or a number of coaches or, you know, the schemes, or all of the all of the issues. I mean, last week again was a week of unbelievable distraction. But uh, uh, that has to change. They've got six games to change it and and show what they can do. But um, but they got to make this run game work, and they've got to figure out uh, because the the secret with you know with so many of these teams was you ran the ball. Teams had to stop the run. They had to get help from their secondary of everybody they could. And that made play action passing work so much better. And this team has to be able to run the ball so they can play action pass. I mean, that to me, that's USC football. And, uh, I think they've been a little gimmicky and I don't think it's helped, uh, you know, the offensive line a bit. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it is surprising that there doesn't, I don't know if there's regression, but I don't think there's been anywhere near the progress that um, that you need at this level of football. I mean, all you hear from everybody that looks at this team is, wow, they're really talented. You never hear that they're tough. You never hear their, you know, how determined they are. You never hear that, boy, they play smart football. Boy, they're well coached. You never hear that, no. ever, <laughs> from anybody, anywhere. All you hear is, wow, they got a lot of talent. Yeah. Uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. No. So the blame probably goes a lot of places. Let's go to uh, Chris in San Pedro. He says, am I crazy or do I keep watching the same game over and over? While they're always questionable offensive play calls, we lost this game again on defense and in the same way, allowing a young quarterback all day to throw and only getting sacks when he held the ball forever. Our inability to consistently stop the run, uh, Back-to-back 90-yard drives, assisted by penalties. When we do blitz, it's usually Sewer or Felix, and they take on a bigger man and try to go through them unsuccessfully. There's rarely a corner or safety blitz, and when we rarely succeed when we did blitz. It seems uh, so easy to move the ball on us, and we don't change. We scored 31 points and missed a field goal and still lose the game. So proud of the players and the fight they showed, and they deserve better coaching on defense. Helton seems to be a great man, but he has never had a – He'll never have a chance to win the job with the defensive play calling. Why is it that Cody's running for his life in every game and we can't get to their quarterback? Deja vu all over again. Help. Chris and San Pedro, thanks for the therapy. Yeah, uh, Chris, it is, uh, as you say, Groundhog Day uh, for this team. Uh, And, uh, you know, Cody looks a little like Bill Murray, I guess, out there uh, at times. And, uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, and yet, you know, you list all those things. I keep saying this and I don't know how to get around it. They gained 590 yards. I mean, that's the the craziness, uh, you know, of it. It didn't look good. Notre Dame looked way better gaining 476 than USC did gaining 590. I don't have an explanation. I just, all I know is those are the numbers, and it did look, it didn't look good. Uh, that's, I mean, it's, that's the, 
the worst looking 590 yards any team has ever gained anywhere at any time. Uh, because you're right, Cody was under pressure, kind of running for his life. Uh, it didn't look like they could really run the ball much of the time when they wanted to. And yet they gained 590 yards. I don't know. It's just, it's very, it's really puzzling. And I think the kids are puzzled too as to what's not quite happening. Why isn't it happening? Uh, why isn't it more effective? You know, why aren't we getting more out of 590 yards, for example? Uh, or why can't we do it when we have to do it? But Notre Dame could do it when they had to do it. Yeah. What? Why? Why was that? I mean, how did how did Notre Dame have what it took to put? It had seven pretty much uh, fruitless uh, possessions, one lousy field goal, and then two back-to-back 90-yard drives. How did they do that? And how is USC at the same time, after really you know 21 straight points and taking the lead, how is USC shut down almost completely? How does that happen? Don't know. Obviously, coaching plays into that uh, significantly. Um, we had a question from Garrett in Seattle. He says, I wanted to get your opinion on something I've been noticing for several years now. It seems as though our star players, the ones who come in early, start off really well in their careers, but they don't improve in the years that follow and then sometimes actually regress. We've seen it with Marquise Lee, Nelson Aguilar, and now with Dory Jackson. You don't see other team star players regressing like ours do. And I feel that this falls squarely on the coaching staff for not developing our players properly. What are your thoughts on the subject? Appreciate your work. Fight on Garrett in Seattle. Well, uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. I think, uh, Nelson Aguilar regressed. <laughs> he, he didn't, uh, I would not, I would not put him in a class of, uh, of regressing. Uh, I think Marcus, Marquise Lee, you know, how much injuries were, you know, part of that, uh, uh, and absolutely, please do not put a Dory Jackson in the category of regressing. I mean, you know, if you're out there, you know, for all those plays on offense and they only look at you a couple of times, I'm not sure what you do. You know, do you, you know, steal the snap? Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's on the coaches, obviously. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I mean, the regression you wonder about is, uh, you know, Matt Barkley, and it started the way he started and probably, and really had one of those senior years that, you know, just you wish would have gone away. And, uh, is Cody heading down that path, you know, that, uh, had that great junior year and now, um, you know, not getting the kind of results I'm sure that he obviously he came back for, uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think some of the development has been, you know, that's the result of the NCAA. That's what they wanted. They wanted to destroy the program. They wanted to kneecap it. They wanted to do everything. And so you tend to take maybe you've got fewer players, you take shortcuts, or you try to, you know, uh, mitigate you know, all of the, uh, you know, the, the sanctions-related, uh, you know, handicaps that you're dealing with. Um, and you try to get through with a shortened roster and all that. I mean, did they develop some bad habits over the years with these guys who had to go through the whole, you know, sanctions, uh, you know, regime? Probably. Uh, and the coaching staff has turned over, 
that probably isn't a good thing. Um, it would have probably been better, you know, to, to try to develop some stability, uh, you know, with the coaching staff, uh, when they had a chance and they had the really good year in 2013. Uh, that might not have been the time to bring in a bunch of new coaches. Um, so, and then to go to a new, you know, a new system. Uh, so, I mean, but yeah, they're not getting the, uh, the kind of development that you'd like to see. Uh, at a lot of these positions, and uh, you know, they got six more games to to see where this goes. But there are seniors on this team, I think, that had some plans to really, uh, you know, move on and play at the next level. That are, I think, really uh, in question right now whether they're going to be able to do that. Um, we got a few more, one more team one, then we're gonna have some coaching stuff um, about the coaching search and stuff. But fight on. The, the G says fight on, uh, is Kenny Bigelow in the doghouse or does he just lack the fire and will to separate himself from the other defensive linemen? Thanks for all you guys do. You keep us sane. That's a really good question. And I've got to ask that coach Wilson tomorrow. Um, I mean, they're, they're hesitant to, you know, say anything negative about anybody. And it, it, you just don't know what they're looking at, what they're seeing. I mean, he's kind of in the middle having, you know, had the injury and, and missed out last year. And so they didn't get to see him much, uh, last year. And you've got, you know, these, uh, you've got the five, five year, six year seniors. You've got the, you know, the four freshmen. And then there's Kenny sort of in the middle. And do you kind of get, you know, lost in that middle where they're trying to see, You've only got three spots, too. I mean, that's the other thing. Uh, this is a team with, you know, nine or ten defensive linemen, and yet there's just three spots, uh, which might have also, you know, argued for a, you know, four-man front when you look at the, the available talent. But I don't have a good answer to that question. I mean, he's done some things that say, wow, you know, look at that. But I know there are, you know, been plays where they think, gosh, where is he? What, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I, it's hard to say somebody's not consistent on this team when, you know, that's kind of been the, you know, the, the you know, the characteristic uh, that's been the biggest problem is, the, you know, lack of consistency. So, uh, but I think it's in that general area that they need him to, you know, step up a bit more. All right, these last few, Dan, are just kind of about the, the whole the coaching turnover and everything that's been going on. Uh, the first one is Marcel um, and Diamond Bar and Bill uh, Mara, and they both um, wanted to know, since Sark brought most of his assistants from Washington, did they have prior knowledge of his drinking, and what does it say uh, about their character? And they want to know, should the assistants come for, should have they come forward and talk to Pat Hayden about it? You know, I think there's a blind spot. I mean, there, I think there has been a blind spot, uh, in kind of the USC football culture for a long, long time. I think, um, you know, there was a madman, you know, kind of aura about USC football that, uh, you know, I mean, if you look back at, you know, Bear Bryant and, and, and John McKay, those guys, that was a different time and a different world. And I'm not so sure USC has figured out how to get, you know, maybe out of that world. 
And I just don't know if people picked up on it inside the way other people pick up on it now. You can't be the way maybe, you know, they were in the 50s and 60s. I mean, there are always the stories of they used to have a Skyriders tour where they would go to all, you know, they did it in the Southeastern Conference, the Big Ten, the uh, Pac-10 then, or Pac-8, I guess, then, where, you know, they would go to a different school every every day and, you know, fly in, and, and it was one long, you know, drinking, uh, you know, before the season started, you know, every day. And, you know, they would have talk about who, which, uh, you know, school had the, you know, the most booze ready, uh, you know, for when they got there. And, and life, you don't do that anymore. And that's just not part of the, the, the world that we're in. But I think there's been kind of a, a blind spot about that at USC. And I, I, I guess there wasn't, I mean, I think there were those of us who thought Salisa Troy, that you couldn't do anything but make a different call than USC made. That the, the, the call had been made for you, and um, uh, they didn't see it that way. Uh, and, you know, I'm, to be honest, I was telling people when they would ask what's going to happen, um, uh, I pretty much was saying it's not a case of, if it's going to happen, what happened last week, but when, that that this was not set up to be able, you know, to get through it the way it was. And, uh, uh, you know, whether, the, you know, you put any more on the coaches from Washington or, you know, the people at USC um, and whether the, you have that ability when your you know your whole job depends on you know the boss and how do you how do you make that happen or how do you make it happen if other people don't exactly see it as a big problem? Um, uh, again, I'm, I tend to not come down real hard on any one one person, but the lack of, of awareness as to what was going on um, during the hiring process during the you know, previous times at USC, all of that, um, that should not have happened. That sh- there was an awareness that could have been had by anybody who was paying attention. That there wasn't an awareness tells me either you're not paying attention or you don't want to pay attention. And that's not a good thing. And as we see now, it's a really bad thing and it's really unfair uh, to these players and to the fans and the, you know, the community, uh, the entire USC community, that was a disservice. And, uh, for some of us like me who have, you can read what I've written and you can tell I'm really not happy with the way this has turned out because it shouldn't have turned out like this. This should not have been allowed to happen. And, uh, it, 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 you know, Blind spot or not, somebody should have intervened in a lot of different places, and they never did, and uh, and that's not good. A um, couple more quick ones. Kyle wants to know, out of curiosity, when an assistant coach like Orgeron or Helton gets promoted to interim head coach, do they get an increase in pay to correspond with their increased responsibilities? I think they do. They get an increase 
uh, not to the level of the head coach that's leaving. Uh, but, uh, yes, I think, yes, they do. Um, and again, at USC, private school, they really don't have to ever, uh, announce any of those, any of those numbers. But, uh, yes, there is a bump. Uh, but, you know, it's not taking you into the, even prorated, they're not taking you up to the three and a half million dollars a year. Uh, however that worked, that works out by the week or the game or the month or, or whatever. Uh, but yes, they do, they do bump them up. And then one last one from Justin. He says, I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions regarding the rumors of Pete Carroll returning, but I want to take a different angle. What if he took Pat Hayden's job as athletic director? Well, I mean, I guess that, that's, was the old way you used to do things where you would, you know, move a coach like, uh, uh, or you would give that, those duties to, uh, say, uh, Coach Bryant at Alabama. You know, they'd make him AD. And, you know, he wasn't going to spend a lot of time being an AD. Uh, I don't know if that would be attractive to Pete or not. You know, if he came back and you said, and then you'll be able to, you know, to be AD. I mean, I don't know that that's anything that, that Pete would be interested in. And the way, you know, Pete would run the football program, I'm not sure he, uh, you know, kind of needs an AD, you know, to, to really, you know, tell him how we're going to do things and all that. I, I do think it's interesting how how is USC going to get into this whole thing of, um, you know, deciding on the coach and deciding on who's going to decide on the coach and how does the AD play into this? And, you know, does the AD really want to make this, you know, call, uh, in light of, you know, what's happened with, you know, some of the most recent, you know, things that have happened in terms of either letting somebody go or, or, uh, uh you know, bringing on, you know, Sark and all of that. It has to improve. That, that whole process has to improve. They've got to be more, uh, I think aware of what's going on in the world. There, there's a tendency, uh, at USC now to be a little insular and, uh, to not maybe be as open to, you know, everything that, you know, that, that's available to you in terms of, you know, knowing what you want to know. And, uh, I think they got to get their priorities right in terms of, you know, why, I mean, was Steve Sarkeesian the best coach that USC could have possibly gotten for this football program, I think the answer is clearly no. I mean, they didn't try to get that person. And, uh, why not? You know, this is a university that's trying to be absolutely as good as it can be in every possible area and succeeding in an awful lot of ways. Uh, why not in football? You know, what was there that said, you know what, we can go this route. Uh, that's not the way you go. And what happens now? Do they go out and say, we are going to, you know, absolutely look at everybody that we could possibly take a look at, and we are going to find the absolutely perfect person, whether it's a young guy, uh, an experienced guy, whether it's bringing Pete back or whether what it is, an NFL guy. Uh, we're going to find the best person. But who is it that makes that call in terms of, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, I mean, there are people who really, really upset with the way they used Corn Ferry the last time, that, that Corn Ferry really wasn't used 
for anything other than a cover because they'd already decided, you know, they're going to hire Sark. You know, that's that's certainly one of the things that you you know you hear that uh, uh, that the decision was made and then they kind of uh, you know did the search in order to validate the decision. Uh, you know, unless you know Pete calls and says, "Hey, I'm available." Uh, it's time or I will come back or whatever. How you do a complete, you know, search where you look at everybody that you could possibly bring in. Um, and, and who are the people that are going to evaluate that? And, you know, do you trust the people who haven't really gotten it right, you know, in the last time? Uh, I think we know. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how this is going to play out. Um, um, uh, I wish we did. I wish we had a clue, and I'm not sure they do <laughs> as to exactly how they're going to do this. Uh, but they cannot get this one wrong. You can't. This is so unfair. For example, to have to go through all those NCAA sanctions and then add, in effect, you're adding sanctions by your own actions. They're unforced errors. On this program, I mean, these kids this year who have gone through, basically they've been, you know, they came here when the sanctions were just about to come, and they've had their, their entire, these seniors have had their entire career limited uh, by NCA sanctions that we now know were completely bogus and completely over the top, and they should not have ever had to deal with them. The university didn't really probably respond correctly there. But they shouldn't now, after they've, you know, emerged from the sanctions, still be getting hit with mistakes that the people who are running the program are making. That's just not right. It's not fair. These kids deserve better. And it's one of the reasons to be really unhappy about what's going on. Well, Dan, great stuff. We're a little long on this one, Uh, over an hour, but. So much stuff going on. USC Notre Dame, we had to get to all of it. So thanks for answering everyone's questions and uh, rest your voice a little bit. I hope so. Uh, Those are good questions. Uh, The answers aren't as good as the questions. Uh, And that's, uh, you know, if if we were able to be the person answering the questions ourselves in terms of this is how it's going to happen, that would be one thing. We're trying to answer them through – through these other levels of, of, you know, through the coaching and through the administration and all that. And all we can tell you is, uh, you know, kind of how we see it, but uh, we aren't going to have the last word, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll see you out of practice tomorrow. And uh, everyone else, thanks so much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And here's a quick message from Michael Moline Real Estate. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate 
estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 